Hi everyone, I'm Lee Savile-Iksik and this is the Artsbound Podcast where I speak with professionals from across the performing arts industry to capture bits of wisdom and inspiration for young people considering careers in music, theater, and dance. Today I'm speaking with Tess Marshall, who is a stage performer, a musical theater actor living and working in New York City. Tess has a fantastic perspective on what it means to pursue a career as a professional performer. And especially for someone so young, she just has great wisdom to share. I'm really excited for you to hear our conversation. Hi, Tess. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Um, it's good seeing you, and thanks for taking the time to, to come on the show and talk to us. Of course, happy to be here. Yeah. So, um, so just to kind of give some context uh, into how we know each other, um, we met uh, my first year of teaching middle school in, in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. You were in eighth grade. Oh my gosh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, and, um, <laughs> and you sang in the choirs that I directed, um, acted in the musicals that I directed, and um, did, you know... PMEA choir functions and, and the whole bit um, before you kind of shipped off to Shenandoah Conservatory where you um, did your training in musical theater. So, um, and we've maybe bumped into each other once or twice since then, but it's been a while. And so um, tell us what you're up to. Yeah. So like you said, I went to Shenandoah Conservatory and I graduated in 2016 with a BFA in musical theater. <laughs> Um, and then immediately following graduation, I moved to New York City. And since being in New York, I did um, a couple of contracts on cruise ships. I did two uh, pretty short contracts on on cruise ships, traveled the world, met really amazing people, saved some money, which was great. Mm-hmm. And then uh, came back to New York and since then have been working, thank goodness, consistently, regionally, all over the country, which has been just awesome and exciting. Um, recently lost, as I'm sure many people have, um, three upcoming contracts. I had a full Uh summer booked and unfortunately (laughs) those things will not be happening as planned. Uh, but I mean, so it goes, it's just the way it is right now. So yeah, tough time for this industry specifically. Just It is. I mean, you have to gather to experience this art form. So no one is gathering. We're not gathering, (laughs) (laughs) but it is, it has been kind of a blow. Um, but just very fortunate and blessed uh, to have been working so much and, I mean, exploring so much of the U.S. and meeting awesome people, doing really awesome shows. And there is one contract at the end of the summer that has not officially been canceled yet, so we'll see if that comes through or not. But either way, just very grateful to get to do what I do and do it as consistently as I have been. So That's fantastic. So um, tell us maybe, you know, of the last year, what were two or three of the contracts? What were the things that you enjoyed doing most? Sure. Um, I would say one of the most exciting things I was ever a part of was the Ragtime on Ellis Island workshop directed by mm-hmm. Sammy Cannold in New York, which was just an absolutely incredible experiment, experience. We did... Um, a sound workshop. This would actually probably really interest you, actually. We did a sound workshop um, of a live performance. So everyone came into the space and we did a typical live performance. The only variable was that everyone in the audience was wearing headphones with a personally picked oh, okay. 
system of things that were happening in front of them real time, but through a set of, of headphones. So we were playing with a different medium within a live art form to kind of produce the sound specifically that you wanted to be heard, which was just so cool. Such an amazing time. Got to work with some serious Broadway stars, which was amazing and humbling and exciting, which was awesome. And then I did um, The Sound of Music recently in uh, at a theater in Virginia that I just had a blast doing. Got to work with children on stage for the first time in a very long time, mm-hmm. which taught me a lot, which was <laughs> exciting. Um, yeah, and then the stuff that I have coming up hopefully will be pushed to a further date, so hopefully I'll get to do those. And they were Kinky Boots, Legally Blonde, and Godspell, which okay. are all very exciting shows to me. Anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I also, I did a world premiere musical of a show called the King's legacy, which is a story about Henry VIII's wives, all of his six wives, um, as told by them, um, in a time, in like a different time period. Um, it was, it was just really, really cool, um, to kind of step in and out of history as a narrator. And then as one of the wives, which was really, really cool. Um, and I actually did three pieces this year involving Henry VIII's wife. So I guess guess I found a niche. I don't know. (laughs) But it was a blast. I had so much fun. Wow. So I'm curious, the the sound workshop, um, so the audience had the headphones on? Yes. Okay. And were they hearing things that they weren't necessarily seeing? Yes. So that, well, no, not that they weren't seeing. So for instance, the way that it was set up, you would come into the room and there was a soundscape already prepared for your entrance. So, um, we, it was a, uh, I don't know if I told you, it was a workshop of rad time. So mm-hmm. it was coming through Ellis Island. So you could hear the steamships and the people speaking a bunch of different languages and getting their passports stamped and having conversations with people that they couldn't necessarily communicate with. And that was being represented on stage, but not we weren't making the sound on stage. It was only happening through the headphone experience. And then as we moved into the workshop of the actual musical itself, they were hearing a perfect mix from orchestra to solo to choir in their headphones, which was, and of course I got to sit out for a day and have the experience myself. Everyone in the cast got to kind of rotate and experience that. I've never done anything like it. And it was just awesome. It was like, it was like listening to a cast recording while watching it real time. So cool. Wow. Yeah. And um, and what a beautiful show to do that with and to actually do it on Ellis Island. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, so tell me, you know, a lot of people think of the musical theater artist living in New York City as like, taking the auditions and maybe they get it, maybe they don't. And they're, you know, they're waitressing during the day and whatever. So, um, have you had day jobs? And it's have so- I had I- day jobs? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have many day jobs. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's interesting. I have a bunch of friends who do waitress and make a lot of really good money depending on where you work and like what part of the city you work in and what times you work and blah, blah, blah. I have found for me, what's best for me is babysitting because Mm. I can schedule my days. If I have a morning free, I can babysit in the morning, whereas I might not be able to get a shift in the morning as a waitress. So, and I love children. So babysitting has really been good for me because my schedule is just so different daily from audition to audition. So sometimes I'll have an audition that, I mean, I, I wake up for it about 4am I'm downtown and midtown by 
five, um, waiting to audition until about eight. Maybe I get seen before lunch. Maybe I don't. So then I'll come back at two. It's possible that I'll get seen right after lunch, or maybe I have to stay until the end of the call at six. Um, but if I have my own schedule, like I would have to leave if I was, if I had a lunch shift or something. And for me, I just, I need a little bit of structure in my day. So I'll say sure. like, Hey, I'm free to babysit from six to 2 AM. And if I get somebody who wants that awesome, and then I'm free to do my thing during the day. Um, so yeah, I've been, I've been babysitting pretty consistently for the last several years and love it, make really good money. And I really enjoy the kids while I do it too. So that's been good. And I also do nails on the side. So okay. I will yeah, have people come over to my apartment um, and I do dip and gel nails and, you know, get to meet people. And it's an interesting life. It's not as like, you know, glam, I think, as many people think it will be when they want to go into a performing arts career. I don't know. If, I don't know if people think that it's more glam or more difficulty, but it definitely is. It, it's like a like a normal life roller coaster. There are sure. moments of amazing, awesome opportunity that you just think, wow, I am so lucky that I get to do this. And there are other times where it is just a slog. So I think I have found a way that works for me to kind of balance that out by enjoying the children that I work with while still doing a job that isn't necessarily my passion. So sure. I babysit is the long and short of that. That's my day job. Right. <laughs> And so you've been doing this, you said you graduated in 2016, so about four years, and um, and you're still going strong and, you know, yeah. 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 I, I, other than what we're kind of living with right now with the with the pandemic, yeah. Yeah, this, this brought a pretty quick halt to everything that was planned for the future, but it's interesting because I think that this pandemic specifically will have such an interesting effect on the performing arts because yeah. I think for, I mean, history has shown when things happen like this in the world, the thing that people will splurge on or the things that people long for is entertainment, something mm -hmm. to just remove yourself from the current set of circumstances and walk into a different world. So I don't necessarily think that the arts will be um, hurting as badly when things reopen. I think probably the opposite. I think the thing to uh, think about though, is that it is an art form that requires you to gather. So in terms of maintaining social distancing within theaters and whether or not people will be comfortable entering a confined space, we'll have to see. But I think as a whole, I think the arts are going to be just fine and we will move ahead as, as, as planned and everyone will, I honestly think that there will be more jobs coming out of this than there had been because mm -hmm. I think right now the writers are writing like crazy and the producers are trying to find new projects. And I think maybe talent that hasn't been found yet is being searched right now on YouTube and Instagram and Twitter and TikTok. And I think that there's a lot of opportunity that will probably come out of this, which is exciting given the set of circumstances we're in right now, which is a yeah. sitting and waiting and hoping and... What great insight and a, and a great perspective to have on the whole thing. It's hopeful for sure. I think that's all we can do, right? Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. So one of the questions that I wanted to ask you is, um, so I remember, I remember, I think the first time that you walked into my classroom, which was, I think my second day of teaching and um and I had already heard about you oh my um, God. because because in Williamsport um people knew that Tess Marshall had 
a a skill for performing that was that was atypical for your normal kid in Williamsport. Very nice of you. Thank you. And um and so I'm I'm curious a few things because I think that when people are looking at um going into a career like performing on the stage like you do, that they're they're thinking like do I do I have what it takes to make it? Um, or and and they might be like really hypercritical of themselves, or they have this they have this kind of pie in the sky dream of like oh I'm going to do this and and maybe it's not grounded in reality, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm uh, I've always been a believer that the skills that we have and the abilities that we have are a combination of an innate gifting. And what we do with it, the work that we do to develop that. And so I'm curious for you, if you could think back to middle school, high school. Okay. When, first of all, like when did you make the commitment to say, yes, I'm going to do this? And secondly, were you, how aware of whatever innate gifting were you aware of mm-hmm. when you were in little old Williamsport, which you're back in now, um, which is kind of perfect for this interview. Yeah, full yeah. circle, full circle. Um, okay, so I'll start with when did I know that I wanted to to do this and commit to mm-hmm, it? Mm-hmm. Um, it was early high school. I think I was either a soft. I don't want to say the teacher's name because that would give it away, and that's I don't want to do that. It was sophomore year or junior year. Early, it was it was the first semester of either sophomore or junior year. Um, so I was like sixteen ish years old, and I <laughs> was in a math class. I'm I'm math is really not my thing. <laughs> and I was sitting in a math class, thinking, why why am I sitting here struggling so hard with this when I'm never going to use it? And then I thought, okay, check yourself, test. Are you going to need to use this skill? What are you going to do? What are you going to do with your life that you think that you're not going to need math skills? So I excused myself. I went to the bathroom, had a mini breakdown, cried in front of the mirror. And I was like, I'm not doing this. I don't want to, I don't want to do math another day in my life. What do I love to do? I love to sing. I love to act. I love to dance. I love to entertain people on stage. That's what I'm going to do. So I turned back out of the bathroom and went back and sat in math class and decided, I mean, I'll get through this class, but no, I'm done with math. It was a particularly frustrating day in math class that was just the catalyst for my train of thought going, I don't want to do something that I don't love doing. And then I decided that day that what I really loved doing was musical theater. And I think before then, I didn't really know that you could make a career out of musical theater. Because I don't know, for the people listening, like Williamsport is a very small area. I mean, everyone here is um, like lots of lawyers and doctors, kids and people who go into like very sustainable, necessary professions. Not that the arts aren't necessary, but very like life sustaining professions. Sure. sure. All of my friends' parents had and what my parents have. And I just thought that's just not, that's just not for me. And it never really occurred to me that there was another avenue. So doing high school musicals and doing, um, I did a lot of stuff at this community theater league and the community arts center and the uptown music collective and 
directed shows and produced shows and performed in shows. And that was what, when I broke it down into where do I spend all of my time, that is where I spent all of my time. So then I reasoned, there must be something that you can do with that. I started Googling, like researching things. And I thought, oh, tons of people go to school for this. I'm going to school for that. And then I'm just lucky I got in somewhere because to be honest, I really hadn't had like any acting training ever. Like I had never had an acting Mm. class in home or anything. So then I went to school with people who had gone to like performing arts high schools and all sorts of different things. And I remember the first week of school thinking, wow, it's like a miracle (laughs) that I'm here right now (laughs) because this was just not my experience. I didn't know that people even had experiences like that. So I'm very fortunate to have found it. Um, But yeah, math, math is what drove me into it. (laughs) You know, I think I, I kind of think I remember that story. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, it's the truth. Yeah. But here's what I love about it is that you had you had this moment of intuition mm. that you listened to. And like and you didn't you didn't kinda push it away and say, No, 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 that doesn't make sense. You know, everybody that I know does something more practical. Right. Um but you had this moment that's that where like your gut just told you this is what you love to do. Mm-hmm. Do it. Yeah. And you follow, you know, yeah. Yeah. Another little tag to that, I will say, I've heard a lot of people, you know, in my early educational career in terms of high school and then conservatory training and we had lots of guest speakers and lots of professionals like come in and speak to us in those educational programs. And I remember all of them saying this thing that just ate at me. It made me so mad because every single one of them, like it was rehearsed or something known across the board would always say, to everybody considering performing arts, if there's anything else that you can do that would make you happy, Hmm. do it. And I remember hearing that being like, how rude. Like, you don't know what I want. You don't know me. You don't know what my skill set is. You don't know what my dreams and hopes and aspirations are. And the more I think back to that, the more I'm like, no, that is absolutely the advice that I would give to someone else as well. If you're considering going into this industry and there is anything else that makes you excited or like inspired to wake up and do, or if there's anything else that you are really, really good at and really passionate about it, I would suggest doing that because this is, it can be just really, really hard. Lots of, um, I think dry spells that Mm. aren't necessarily a reflection of you or your worth or your talent in the industry at all, but do make you kind of reassess consistently. Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I in the right place? Am I talented enough? Why haven't these things happened for me that are happening for other people? And it's just this, like, if you don't absolutely love this, you will not love it after a year of trying to do it or two years or four years or five years. Like you must live and breathe this stuff. And if you don't save yourself the time and the trouble and going back to school for another degree and just (laughs) do that, just do that. Yeah. But if you love it, it's the best thing in the world. The best thing in the world. Um, that's fantastic. Uh, thank you for saying all of that. You know, one of the reasons why I wanted to start this podcast is that I think that, uh, you know, I had all of these students who were interested in careers in music or in theater or dance and, um, just loved the environment of the arts and couldn't see themselves doing anything else, right? Um, But at the same time, like maybe 
maybe their their skills as a performer like weren't their absolute top strength or um or maybe there was just like maybe they they couldn't see themselves doing anything other than the arts but they also didn't see themselves being a full-time performer that was that was the boat that I was in yeah which is which is why I chose the route of of uh becoming a a teacher right and so um but I think it's hard because everybody sees the performer, right? Mm-hmm. We all see that person and um, kind of like you're talking about the glamour and the... Uh, recognition, it's, right? Right, the recognition. It's, and it's just like we get familiar with what we see and what we know. And, and that's what we can relate to. We can't relate to something that we don't know about. So right. I was like, there are so many... As I became more aware in my own career of how many gigs there are that support the performer, that are the behind-the-scenes people, that are the producers, that are the writers, that are the da-da-da-da-da-da-da, um, to say, like, if I could have a podcast and create basically a, a catalog of all of these conversations with people that do all of these other things, there could be somebody out there who's like, I want to do performing arts that... I just like, but I don't think that I want to do the stage thing. What yeah. else could I do? Yeah. Yeah. I So along the way, over the course of the last several years, just working with so many different people in so many different places, I have met people who are equally as passionate about set building or producing or writing or directing or... Costumes. Costuming or... I, I, I have this amazing friend who is an absolute wizard at hair and makeup. She's a winger mm. and she does uh, makeup design as well. And the stuff that she can do is just, I mean, it's, it's its own art form. And I think that unless you're exposed to a program or a person who has the knowledge or resources to help you explore those things, it's really hard to know that they're out there. So I would say just know that the performing arts, the things that you see on stage and the productions that you see are only viewable to you based on everything else that goes into them. So if you're interested, I mean, if you're really good with your hands or you're really interested in hair and makeup, which what girl my age is not interested in (laughs) hair and makeup, I would love to be a wigger or a costumer or a makeup artist. I mean, there are so many things that go into making theater happen like the tip of the ice that we see the tip of the iceberg but all of the rest of the work is just I mean immeasurable what kind of things people do that go into it so I think yeah I think I would say I'm not sure of a resource I could tell to to like gather insight into what other jobs are available but just know that there is a job for almost every interest within the performing arts um, I've, so one of my other really good friends is an absolute incredible writer and she's an actor, uh, first it's what she was trained to do and it's what she does professionally, but she's also got three plays. Well, she was having another one going this year, but she's had two plays last year, go to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, um, and gather critical acclaim that was just, I mean, incredible. And she's somebody you might see on stage and maybe you would have no idea that she's also, a three-time award-winning playwright. Right. So I think creating your own work, too, goes into this as well. I mean, if if you are motivated to see a certain kind of role portrayed on stage and you just can't find it or you're trying to find the right material for you and you just can't find it, 
write something. You never know if you can write until you write. You never know if you can wig until you wig. You never know if you can do any of this stuff until you try to do it. So I would advocate to try to get into programs or um, meet people who have other skill sets that you can learn from because there really is a job for everything, for sure. Yeah. So I'd like to revisit an idea, and that is the way that other people's perceptions of this profession impact how we perceive it ourselves. You were telling me a little bit before we started recording about a classmate of yours who really struggled with talking with her parents about going into this profession. And I don't necessarily think it's because their parents didn't think that they were capable or ready. I think it was fear. I think that a lot of it is fear-based. And to be honest, not for not for nothing, because, I mean, it is kind of a, it's an uncharted career because everybody's journey is completely different. I couldn't tell you right now what I expect in the next five years. When you look at those like five-year plans and 10-year plans, like mine is a five-year dream list and a 10-year dream list because, I mean, I can work as hard as I can work. There is never any lack of determination or hard work on my end, but in terms of the opportunities that I'll be able to have, totally not up to me, totally not in my realm of control. So I, I remember a lot of kids in school, you know, felt very, I don't know if I should be here or like, I don't know if this is maybe what I should be doing. Cause even after they had gotten through the whole, um, audition process and had come to the classes and had started, they were still, they still had their parents' voices in their heads being like, are you sure you want to do this? This is really not a reliable source of income. This is really not a smart decision. What kind of partner will you be to another partner? You're telling this to like an 18 year old kid who just wants to like sing and, I think it it does a lot of damage because in terms of that like self-doubt kind of thing that we were just talking about, talk about a catalyst when you think that the people who, I mean, love you the most and want what's best for you the most don't want you to do something. Even if you decide to do it anyway, I mean, that has long, long lasting effects on someone's confidence, I think. That being said, I don't think that it's malicious when parents are concerned about their children going into an unstable career. I think it makes sense. And I don't know how I would respond if I were a parent, but in terms of the way my parents responded, I think it absolutely set me up for success because when I told them I wanted to go to school for musical theater, I don't even think there was like a, oh, or are you sure? They were like, awesome. Where do you want to go? (laughs) Like both my parents and my dad's a lawyer. So, I mean, talk about somebody with like a very like by the book, literally by the book, stable life that I had, I I thought I was going to be a lawyer before I decided to go to musical theater because I love, I just, I love law. I think it's really interesting. Not enough, (laughs) (laughs) but I, my parents were so supportive and so encouraging and they still are. So when I have defeats or things and talk about people in your life who are important to have, I mean, my family and my brother, um, such an amazing support system for me who are constantly there to just build me back up and say, you know, you were made for this, you're going to be fine, you're resilient, you're strong, you're capable, and that's all I need. And it's like, okay, you're right. I am resilient, I am strong, I am capable. All the people I love and who love me are telling me that. So this little dip in my confidence or my question of my value is just one person's opinion, and it's the least important opinion because <laughs> the common denominator is all of that great stuff. So I think... Making the decision to go when your parents aren't necessarily the most supportive is really difficult. Um, 
So I wish that everyone could be supportive, but I also understand that unless you're in this industry, it's really, really hard to know anything about the ins and outs of it and how difficult and scary that must be for someone who just wants the best for their, for their kid. But Mm -hmm. I'm eternally grateful for my parents and their reaction and their support when I said that this is what I wanted to do. There was never even a question. It was like, okay, we're in full support. Let's do it. So, and I think that it's had a long lasting effect on my belief in myself because there was never any question as, are you sure you're like going to be able to get in anywhere? Like never was anything like that ever said to me. Right. And I think that, I think that a lot of it is mental. I think that a lot of life is mental when you're your own roadblock or someone important to you is a roadblock for you. It can be really, really hard to, to overcome. Yeah. I've got more of my conversation with Tess Marshall coming up in just a minute, but I thought that this was a good moment to pause and make a reflection. What really struck me about my conversation with Tess was how much she knows what she wants from her career to the point where she's comfortable saying that this is what she was meant for, what she was made for, and having the confidence then to pursue it and knowing what she has control over versus what's out of her control and not letting those things out of her control really sway her. They are all qualities that I personally really struggled with in my career at many different points. And that's why I created Artsbound Career Design because I used to believe that that confidence and self-knowing were qualities that some people had and some didn't. But then I learned that they were actually skills that could be developed and practiced. And so Artsbound Coaching offers guidance and insight to young performing artists who are striving to find where in the industry their personal strengths and preferences fit so that they can design a career and pursue a career that really honors who they are. If this interests you, then check out my programs at artsboundcareerdesign.com. Now back to my interview with Tess. So a lot of people say that getting jobs is all about who you know. So how true have you found that to be in all of the auditions that you do and the contracts that you get? True. Okay. True. I think that theater people are a special breed of people. We are intuitive. We are intelligent. We are hardworking. And we have wide nets. We know so Mm. many people. And I think, I mean, if I were to ask you, would you rather work with someone you know who's tried and true or somebody brand new you've never met nine times out of 10, depending on the project, your answer would probably be someone I know who's going to show up Absolutely. and do the work that I can trust to do it. Well, that being said, I think that there's something to say for putting yourself out there in elements and situations that maybe you haven't been able to get through to. And the more that you do that. So I don't, I don't necessarily think that I need to be on a first name basis with someone to have a chance at getting cast. That's not what I'm saying. I do believe that if I were to go into a major casting office for an audition for the first time, it's probably not going to happen for me unless I am the most niche thing, right place, right time. Nothing's impossible. It's probably going to take five or six or 20 interactions with that person for them to even remember who I am. 
And once they start remembering who you are, that's when you start getting called in, you start getting callbacks, you start getting producer rounds, you start getting the FaceTime that you're hoping to get. And I think a lot of people get really bogged down because they go in and they audition for someone specific and they think, well, they just don't like me. I've been in for them four times now and they just don't like me. They won't call me back. It's not that they don't like you. They have 50 friends who walked in before and after you on either side who they'd rather see do the work than somebody they don't know. So right. I think it's not who you know, it's whom you know. I think you, the more people you can know, the more people you can interact with and show up and do good work for consistently, the, the more likely you are to get those jobs or to get callbacks for those jobs. So who, not whom. You, you might have uh, had a hard time in math class, but you were paying attention in English. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's great. I, I hear you saying that to do this, you have to have the, the nerve to be respectfully relentless. <laughs> oh, that's a good way to say it. Yeah, I mean, you just, there's, I mean, and I speak for, I think, all performers or anyone who does just something that's really thankless and really relentless, like you said, I think that there's an element of, you just have to be a self-starter. You have to be somebody who won't quit. You have to be somebody who will get out of bed every day at four o'clock in the morning or however early you have to do to get there on time or to be the first in line or, I mean, it's... It's not for the faint of heart, for sure. I can't tell you how many times I have sat on the New York City sidewalk at 5 o'clock in the morning for three hours for a door to open to be told that they're not seeing me today. (laughs) I mean, I I couldn't give you a ballpark figure. I mean, hundreds, hundreds in the last almost, yeah, four, yeah, four years. So... That's why I say if there's anything else that you can picture yourself doing that makes you happy, you should do that because, yeah, there are the occasional people that you graduate from college or you're not even graduated yet and you walk into that audition room and you are that really niche, right time, right place thing. And all of a sudden your career booms. But almost 10 out of 10 people are the people who have to, I mean, really self-start over and over again with lots of, um, I would say one of the hardest things in this profession is that there's not really a lot of feedback to be given. So you could go in and have the best audition of your life and do material that you know is great on you. That makes you feel like just a force to be reckoned with and know that you had an amazing audition and never hear anything back. And that's just because there are a thousand other people who read for that role, whether it be online via video or came into that room today. So it doesn't mean that you're not talented enough. It doesn't mean that you're not worthy. It doesn't mean that you should, that you are, that you're somewhere you shouldn't be. It just, it's the name of the game. Like it's, it's just a tough pill to swallow. Sometimes you have to want it. You have to know that you want it. And You've mentioned the word worthy uh, twice now, I think, at least. Um, And so, like, what I also gather, just hearing you talk about your experience, and again, it's been like a few years since we've caught up, really, so just this, I'm hearing a lot of this for the first time from you. Um, And I I gather that that one has to have kind of an inner spring of 
confidence and self-worth. Yeah. Uh, because because if you're going to look for it, if you're going to look for it in affirmation or feedback or whatever, you're not going to get it. Yeah. So I think that, yeah, you have to know that you want it so much that you have the ability to tell yourself that you want it when you don't think you want it. <laughs> you have to know you want it so much that you're your own voice of reason when your conscience is like betraying you saying, I can't do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to get up today. I just, I, it's not going to kill me if I don't go to this audition or I haven't booked, a, I haven't booked work in a year and I'm just fed up and I'm over it and I feel like I've wasted time and there are other things that I'm good at. You have to know you want it so badly that you are able to talk yourself out of that, which mm-hmm. I think is where a lot of people go wrong because they, I mean, I've had a lot of friends as well who started in this industry and decided it wasn't for them. And they're, I mean, that's absolutely okay, but I think they thought that they wanted it and then we're faced with those I mean, trials and, and said, I don't want it that bad. Sure. <laughs> I don't think I want it that badly. Sure. And in terms of the springboard of, yeah, of confidence, I think that I would say the thing that's helped me so much is having people in my life who don't do this <laughs> because I think that, oh, I love actors so much, but we are very fragile people. We sure. are, we are innately and and outwardly very strong and uh, persistent and resilient people. And I think that's who we are at our core, but everyone's walking around with that little twinge of self-doubt. Like, am I where I should be? Am I doing something wrong? Why is this not happening for me right now? And I think that you need to have people in your life who are going to build you up in a way that isn't about your talent and isn't about what you do for a living and is about who you are and what you bring to the world as a full person, Mm -hmm. including all of those things, but not limited to. Um, And then I think also having people in the industry who are also full, well-rounded people with hobbies because people who only do this, I think, get really stuck because there's nothing else to think about. You're thinking about this 24-7. I mean, if sure. I were to ask you, how many times a day do you think about your career and the things that your career requires of you? And now ask that question to someone who doesn't even know what their career looks like. Like, it's different today than it will be tomorrow, and it's different tomorrow than it will be in two weeks. Like, there's just an element, I think, of such uncertainty in this business. You just have to have some grounding things in your life. And I think it's different for all people. I think like I thought for a while it would be playing guitar. I thought, Oh, that'll be my thing. No, that's just another industry thing for me. It's like, Oh, I should be recording this video and putting it up. So, you know, I think finding people and things that aren't directly related to what you do for a living is very important to your ability to bounce back when you realize that you're a whole person and not a performer. Cause you're not just a performer. And what makes good performers is well-rounded people. So (laughs) Just saying. That's awesome. Well, my next question was just going to be, you know, how um, how do you maintain that kind of wellspring of of kind of self confidence and a sense of self worth? Um, and you you answered it. I I think that a lot of people, I think a lot of people look at others, others like you, and and people like you said that kind of exude this sense of confidence. Um, and say, oh, I would ne- like I could never be that confident, right? And it's it's almost like a 
um, a, a deficiency of this sense of of self worth, kind of like two times over. Of like, like not only don't you feel confident, but you also feel like you just weren't born to be confident or something. Like you right? like you're just like innately not ever going to be that way. Um, which I which I don't think is true. Which I I, I think yeah. Which I, I think, think is. A load of poo. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think that, I think that anyone with the right set of people and, um, experiences and opportunities around them has the ability to be just as confident as anybody else. I think that like a plant only grows because you give it sunlight and water. So like a person only grows because you nourish it. So them or him, whatever. But I just think I think that there are hills and valleys in life and some people prefer to sit in the valleys and some people prefer to try to ride that high. And I don't think that either is sustainable. I think that you just, we need to be more open and transparent in a world of social media about life is a beautiful struggle for everyone all the time. There are wonderful hills and there are really dark valleys, but most of it is pretty okay. And mm-hmm. I think that when people start viewing people as idols or I mean, I remember getting the question all the time and like and it bothered me. It drove me nuts in school. There was always like, "Oh, welcome to school, first day of class, who's your idol?" Yeah. You know, that was always like one of the questions and it's like I don't have one. I don't want to be like anybody else. I want to be me. I genuinely could not think of anybody I would rather be or anyone I would rather be like. And I think that in a world of social media, we get stuck a lot of times looking at everybody's highlight reel and all of the best things happening in their life instead of thinking they're just a person right in the beautiful struggle like everybody else. And I think that that weighs on a lot of people's mental stability in my own as well. Mm-hmm. Um, in the comparative factor as well, which is just not real and not true. And everybody is just as capable and as wonderful as everyone else. And we're just at different places all the time. And there's no point in comparing ourselves or getting down on ourselves for not being something or not having something or you know, I look at sometimes I'll see somebody's doing a really, really awesome job and I'll be like, oh man, that would be so great if I had that right now. And I'm sure someone else is looking at me thinking, oh man, that'd be so great if I had that right now. So it's like, yeah. what's the end goal? If we're all miserable all the time because we're comparing what everyone else is doing, what's the point? Like, why are you doing it? Yeah. I just got on a soapbox, but that's how I feel. <laughs> I think that everyone rides highs and lows and that we should just be okay with knowing that most of life is not up here. Most of life is like, you know, you're just doing your best and there are moments of good and bad and that's just the human experience. I think that's what we all, I think that's who we all are. Yeah. Well, I don't know I, your, your question. <laughs> no, that's awesome. And, um, and I think honestly a beautiful way to close out. So thanks so much again Thank for you. the time. Sure thing. It's so good to see you. Yeah, likewise. Thank you, Tess, for your time and for sharing your thoughts and your story with us. Tess asked me to let you all know that during this time of staying home and perhaps longer, she will be doing one-on-one audition coaching. 
You can get a hold of her by email at tessoliviamarshall at gmail.com. And you can learn more about her work online by going to tessoliviamarshall.com. As always, if you're interested in learning more about the coaching and online courses offered by Artsbound, go to artsboundcareerdesign.com. Our theme music is composed by Chris Lidecker. I'm Lee Savalixic. Thanks for listening.